Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Such a big thing in our country right now, and we don't talk about it enough and how we can help people with it, help our friends, our family, our relatives, even ourselves. And we're talking about addiction. And we centered on that last time we got together. We're going to get back into it today. She is a certified mental health coach, also a Christian life coach, and she helps so many people, counsels many, many people who are dealing with addictions. And she's back with us. Cheryl Hines is here. Welcome. How are you doing today? I'm great, Steve. Good to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back here. I had a question that just popped in my head because I knew we were talking about this, but when somebody's addicted to something, a substance, even smoking, whatever it might be, what percentage is the chemical dependency and what percentage is the reason behind it? I, I know, you know we're not talking, you know, we're not doctors, but um, based on your experience, what do you think that number would be where it's a true chemical dependency uh, in terms of percentage? I don't know the percentages. Um, that That's not something that I, that I'm aware of at all, or, you know, I, I might've read up on it, but I'm not sure of it. I do know that they that they now say that a chemical addiction, let's say somebody that's addicted to alcohol, um, they say it can lead into a disease. Um, what I say about that is a disease can be cured. Okay. Um, so it doesn't have to be the label that that person is connected to their whole entire life, especially when it comes to a chemical addiction over eating or anger or whatever that addiction is. The, the way God has created the brain is that the neuropathways, when you become addicted to something, the brain rewires itself to certain neuropathways, that things that it needs to have that in order to survive every day. Once you step away from the addiction and you're no longer doing the addiction, the brain rewires itself so that it will, it will, those neuropathways will go back to a different route. Um, if that makes, if, if you're following what I'm saying. Uh, totally, so, totally. And you know, maybe, maybe, a. We'll look at it from this viewpoint, when I looked at the percentage, when somebody has an addiction to something, there's a reason behind it. There's a mm-hmm. uh, emotional attachment, mm-hmm. a void, whatever it might be. But really, that is the that's the basis for it. And then they turn to a substance, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. I have yet to meet somebody who who doesn't have some kind of a root cause for the addiction. Okay. Um, you know, there's like, like 10, 12, 13 year old children. They're not even teenagers yet who start turning to substances. And why is that home life at times is horrible. And so the substance, the alcohol might be, might be readily available for them. And so they they watch what the people around them do, whether it's mom and dad, grandma, whoever it is. And so they assume that that is a natural tendency to what they do. And so they turn to that 
to numb the pain and to cope with whatever the circumstances are around them. Um, alcohol, drugs, even pornography is that way. Um, you know, one of one of the leaders from our Celebrate Recovery, his addiction is is pornography. He didn't fit in at school. He he mm. his home life was not the best. So for him, that was how he medicated. He discovered it, and before he knew it, he was he was involved in pornography. And 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 again, the dopamine and the neural pathways, you know, triggered and they changed in. Now, for him, he's been sober for many, many years from the addiction of the pornography. But even in the pornography, that is what caused him to go down the path that he went down. So there's almost always a root cause. Now, like we said before, nobody starts out looking to become addicted. Nobody. They think that they can handle whatever it is that they're doing because it numbs the pain. Eventually, they need more and more of that substance to numb the pain because then fear comes in, fear of being caught. So then you're going to medicate even more. Shame comes in because they know that what they're doing is not what they want to be doing, but yet they continue to do it. So shame comes in. And so they so they medicate even more. And then worry comes in because what is everybody going to think if they come out and say that I'm addicted to this substance or or I, I'm addicted to anger or or this is what I'm doing? What what that, then that worry? So it's fear, shame, worry that that then builds on top of the pain. So so it's pain upon pain upon pain mm. that most people turn to the addictions that they have. It's unraveling and unpacking those addictions. You know, the, the 12 steps um, that started with um, AA were written. And, and the very first step of the 12th step is we admit we were powerless. Mm. over our and and for AA it says alcohol but celebrate recovery it says we admit we were powerless over our addictions and compulsive behaviors that our lives had become unmanageable understanding that's the very first step of recognizing that we have a problem and that our lives are unmanageable is is what the very first step that we have to get to before we can ever start the process of the journey of becoming, you know, having the freedom from, from those addictions of our lives. Um, the second step is we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves. See, so many times we feel like if we can handle this addiction on our own. We feel like if we can get off and stop the addiction on our own and we don't need anybody to come alongside of us and to help us. But the but the truth is, number one, we're powerless. Number two, that we cannot control it and that a power greater than ourselves has to restore us to sanity. Then the number third one is, 
we made a decision to turn our lives and our wills over to the care of God. Um, you know, going back to that recognizing, and I know in AA they say that 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 God can be whoever their God is. Um, you know, celebrate recovery. We believe that Jesus Christ is our higher power. But the bottom line is this, Steve, that we in ourselves cannot ever conquer and walk the journey of being free from the addiction on our own. We might we might accomplish it for a year. We might accomplish it for five years, but we're doing it in our own strength. And then something comes along, the sudden death of somebody or or something has been building and building and building and building. And all of a sudden, boom, we're right back to that addiction. Why? Because we've not surrounded ourselves with the people in our lives that can help us walk the journey of sobriety. I know Darren and I, ourselves, uh, for both of us, we have to be accountable to other people. For me, it was my anger. I have to be accountable to other people. I have to recognize in myself when I'm feeling anger. And I have to then stop and say, what am I angry about? What is causing this anger to come to the surface? And I can almost always guarantee that there is something there that has been stirring, stirring, stirring. It's like a pot that is about ready to boil over. And in that anger is about ready to boil over. And I have to stop and I have to say, why? What is it? I have to do the reevaluation. I have to do what we call a fearless moral inventory of ourselves. A daily moral inventory. That's hey, what number is that? That's one mm. of the numbers of the 12 steps. Wow. Um, so number 10, we continued to take a personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. So it's one of those things that we daily have to then look at ourselves and we have to daily say, where's my mind? Where's my thoughts? Where's my emotions? What am I feeling today? Wow. Because if we, if we don't address those things in our lives, what I do know is that we're going to digress. And eventually, even if we haven't had a drink in 20 years, you're going to go back. Unless you take that fearless moral inventory, a daily inventory of your lives, of our lives, and looking at that every day. Um, you know what it so, almost sounds yeah. like, Cheryl? It sounds like a you're checking in with yourself. Many times, you know, people will say, hey, I'm just checking in. How you doing? Mm -hmm. Like you're doing it to yourself. <laughs> it's like your own personal check-in. Hey, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing okay. I'm thinking about this today and um, taking inventory. Yeah. Yeah. Taking a daily inventory. Step four in, in any recovery program, whether it's AA, NA, um, Celebrate Recovery, there's other um, faith-based recovery programs that are out there. Step four is always the hardest step, and that is taking that inventory of our lives. Hmm. Taking the inventory of our lives to see who we hurt, how we hurt them. And then looking at how somebody else hurt us. Um, you know, myself personally, 
my second husband, um, we weren't married even four years. It was, it was a very, 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 very dark time of my life. And he was arrested. Um, he was in chat rooms. Um, I'll let you figure out the rest of that. But he was in chat rooms. He was arrested for being in these chat rooms. He had proposed to an undercover cop who had said she was a minor. Mm. When I did inventory on that marriage and on that relationship, I had to look at, did I have any part to play in the choices that he made? I knew and you were going to, I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. That'd be the, Cause that'd be, I think the logical first question of yourself, like what, how could that happen? How could that be that person? And I don't mean him. <laughs> I'm thinking of somebody else in my life. How could that be that person? And what did I do to help them do that? Or how, why mm -hmm. am I responsible for any of this? Right. Mm -hmm. And the answer at that point for me was no. He made those choices. I was clueless. I had zero knowledge that he was in these in these chat rooms. Zero knowledge. Um, I at that point I didn't I I didn't know about recovery. I didn't know about about how to walk a, a life of freedom in in my own anger issues. Um, so I was zero clueless. That really made a lot of sense. Zero clueless. But I was <laughs> <laughs> I'll probably say it today just because you said it. <laughs> but yeah. but I get it. <laughs> but I get it. Yeah, zero clueless. I, I was you're not clueless. just clueless. You're zero clueless. So I guess I that's a it's a more clueless level of clueless. I guess. I yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> you probably I mean, I were. You probably were at that point. Yeah. Like, right. Yeah. I was. But. So when I did that inventory of, of that act and I put down that I was not responsible for those choices, what that did is that took that burden off of my shoulders and I was able to lay them down. Okay. I was able to just get rid of. Now, did it still weigh heavy on me? Sure. But I remembered that I was powerless. I didn't choose his choice, make his choices. He made his choices himself. So doing that inventory list is one of the hardest things that any of us have to do because it makes us really look at ourselves in a way that we don't like to necessarily look at ourselves. We don't like to, to take the responsibility for hurting that person because of the choices that we made. When we do that, what that does is then that helps us understand why we made choices and why the other people responded. And then in, in um, steps eight and nine, we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Mm. And then verse 10, or uh, not verse nine, uh, Step nine, we make direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would harm them or others. And, and so as we take these steps towards the freedom from the addictions and from the hurts of our lives, what it does is it really helps us to get grounded in a different way than what we ever were before. It helps us to to be standing on us on more of a solid foundation 
because we're finally looking at those broken places um, of our lives. But I like I like step 10 because what it says when we were wrong, we promptly admitted it. What I like about that is, and I also like um, when those direct demands to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. My my second husband, I had, yes, I'm going to use the, this word. I had to choose to forgive him, okay? I had, but it doesn't mean that I then allowed him back into my life. It doesn't mean that I allowed him then to continue to come in and to create more damage into my own personal life. Uh-huh. So when we make those amends, it doesn't mean that that perpetrator then can come back in and still hurt us some more. It just means that for ourselves personally, we have gotten freedom. It, it's like it's like we were in chains. And those chains were gone. And that doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean you condone what that person did. But forgiveness is probably, next to gratitude, probably one of the most powerful things you can do for yourself. But again, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. You know, for many, many years with my with my children's father, um, I always thought that forgiving him would mean that I continued to allow him to to talk to me the way he did or to treat me the way he did. And that's not truly forgiveness. Forgiveness is letting is is saying I I I'm forgiving you for what you did to me, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to allow you to hurt me again. Right. And and so that's truly what the forgiveness aspects is. There's studies, and I can't tell you what the studies are. I haven't really looked at them for quite a while. But the studies show that when we forgive people internally, it does it it helps physically, it helps emotionally, it helps psychologically. Yeah. But when we choose to hold on to the hurt that people put on us that causes the fear, the worry, the anxiety it causes all this inner turmoil, which then can cause us to have a lot of physical complications because we've not let go of what that person has done for us. And I think we also, so, we need to realize that if you don't forgive somebody and you continue that, that cycle of, Fear, anxiety, worry, hurt, anger, all of that, you're giving you're giving them your power. You're allowing them to do it. They don't care about you. They're done with you. <laughs> you know. Right. I don't mean you personally, but just in general. They don't they're yeah, they already did their thing and that was their choice, whatever right. it might be. Um, but you're allowing them, you're allowing them to do it. Right, right, right. That is all part of the 12 steps of, of working through your addiction, you know, the, the process of, of letting go, the process of forgiveness. Um, you know, we continue to take that personal inventory when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Steve, it's, it's a step by step that we each have to take in order to get free from the addiction free from those hurts of our lives. Um, you know, 
it doesn't matter. It, it, it does matter what people do to us. Okay. But, but it doesn't matter what they do to us as long as we can let it go. If that makes any sense, if you can follow that logic, um, you know, I, I can think of instances in, in with, with Darren and our, in, not in our marriage, but in out, outside of our marriage and the things that happened to each of us individually. If I let, if I control or if I think that I am justified in my responses to them, or I'm justified in holding on to what they do to me, um, I might be justified. But like you said, I'm allowing them to rent space in my head. I'm allowing them to control me. I don't want them to control me. I want, I want to have God control my life and I want to, be in control of my own life. I, I don't want that perpetrator to control me. Isn't it funny? I just have a, a thought here, Cheryl. Let me think back. Um, think of the one person that you needed to forgive. If you think back, let's say it was a marriage, all the years, and there's some you know good times, bad times. But if you think back to certain situations where you are uneasy or uncomfortable about something because of what they projected or maybe what they may have done, you know, and, and it could have been just a bad argument, but it's something they did that kind of made a mark on you. All those times that they were controlling you all along the way where you didn't realize it and you gave mm-hmm. up your power to them. You didn't want to, but, for, and maybe and that's not to say that, let's say we don't have issues that allowed that to happen, but we allowed mm-hmm. it, to, <laughs> but we allowed it to happen. Um, so it's, it right. comes to a point where you just got to say, I'm done. I'm moving on. I had hypnotherapy for forgiveness it actually exists. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it worked well. Uh, and, and it was cut short. <laughs> it was a tech issue. It was virtual, but, um, it was powerful. It was powerful mm-hmm. confronting, uh, somebody else in my mind to forgive. Mm-hmm. Gotta be done. Yeah. Yeah. Forgiveness is a huge aspect of, of the, of the recovery process. Um, you know, it, it really is. It's, it's, it's going, it's, and it's taking that first step of admitting that we were powerless over our addictions and our compulsive behaviors and that our lives have become unmanageable. That's the very first step to, to understanding why we're doing and letting go. We might not know why we might not know well, we won't know all of the ins and outs and the reasons behind it. But the first step is always admitting that we're powerless over those compulsive behaviors in our yeah. addictions and that our lives have become unmanageable. Um, then acknowledging we became to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Those step by step. And, you know, and in that process down in, you know, later on in, in the 12 steps, admitting the those inventories and 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 then releasing people um from from the control that they've had over our lives um for me as a christian i i that's where i just really invite god into that space to bring healing i invite god into that space and and i just say please bring healing to those broken places of my life 
Um, I don't know how other people do it. You know, I mean, that's not for me to judge them. But for me, that's where that's where I turn to. That is he is God is my hope. He is my strength. He is my source. Does it mean that magically God takes care of it all? No. I have to help. I have to do my part. I have to admit that I'm powerless. Um, you know, it, it, to, to me, this this is is so vitally important for every one of us, whether we have addictions to to alcohol or drugs or or addictions to anger or gambling or whatever it is, even just in life hurts. Um, once we realize that we are unmanageable, once we realize that those hurts of our lives, we can't manage them on our own, uh, you know, then unpacking and, and understanding what those life's hurts are and, and really allowing God to bring healing to those places of our lives. I'm telling you, Steve, it, there's freedom in that. There is so much freedom in, in really doing the 12 steps and understanding what those 12 steps are and, and, and then, you know, and, and doing that daily moral inventory. Once you've done the program, once you've done the 12 steps, once you've gotten the healing in your life for that, but then taking that fearless moral inventory every day. Um, if I don't do a moral inventory every day, I can tell, I can tell, mm. you know, just yesterday I was irritated just yesterday. I was just, why? I don't know. But I recognized I was irritated and then I had to stop for a minute and I really had to do that inventory. What was it that was irritating? You know, Darren and I are trying to get our taxes done and, you know, we're trying to, we're both self-employed. That's irritating to me. I recognize that. And so then I have to stop and I have to do what I call pause. And I have to reevaluate. How am I going to respond? How am I going to choose to respond? I choose to respond in a different way. I don't want that garbage on me. I, I don't want to respond negatively to Darren. He didn't do anything bad. And even if he did, I choose not to respond in a negative manner, you know. But recognizing, doing that inventory every day is, is really a part of why I walk in freedom. Because I know that I am not, I don't want to hold on to that. What you said, um, um, the P word, pause, super powerful. Because I found myself too. I used to worry about things, let things get to me. And when I get to that point, it's like, well, pause button. Same thing with the taxes. That's on my mind too. Got a lot going on, a lot of changes, things happening. And it's like, oh, oh taxes coming up. I mean, if you talked to me five years ago, I'd be like, oh, geez, well, I got to get this paperwork. I don't really care. More important things mm -hmm. to worry about in life. Um, it'll get done. It, you know, what's mm -hmm. the worst that could happen? So you're late. I'm just saying, okay, might have to pay a little penalty. Don't want that to happen, but there's other things in life that may be more of a priority. But right. the other day I had that thought, same, same with you. And I'm like, eh, press the pause button. It's not so bad. And it's only early February. So there's time, right. there's time. So it's like, but yet, I get this picture with the 12 step program. It's like steps climbing a mountain and you got to mm -hmm. take each one and it's not easy. And sometimes, you know, you got to grab for the next boulder rock or whatever it is to get to the top. But when you're at the top looking down, it's a, it's a pretty damn good place to be. 
but it takes you time to right. get there. It takes you time to get there. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It doesn't happen overnight. Nope. And and you know, for some of us, it, it we we might live recovery our whole entire lives. And if we do, that's okay. It, it, that absolutely is okay to live recovery every single day of our lives. Um, I'd rather live in recovery and live in freedom than to live in the in in the anger. For other people, it's the addiction, right? Um, you know, so it's okay to to walk and live in recovery, and and to surround yourselves by those people that understand what recovery is. The other point to the all of this is. Find a sponsor. Find somebody mm. who has had a number of a, at least a year of sobriety, and and find a sponsor. Somebody that you're accountable to. Somebody that you can talk to. Somebody that can coach you, as we say. Sure. A sponsor helps. It's like your coach, and and helps you coach you to that next step. Um, you know, I'm I sponsor some of the girls from from the local rehab place here. And, and one of them called me the other night and um, she talked to me for about five minutes and that's all she needed. But she needed to have a word of encouragement. She needed to have somebody say, you can do this. It's going to be okay. And, and, and if that is what it took to keep her sober, so be it. Yeah. Yeah. But we all need that. You know, we all need that one person in our, in our life that is a safe person that we can talk to that that will help us unpack some of those areas of our lives and um yeah and, move and, forward. and you're one of those people you are or find the rock as you try to grab for the next one to get you to the top of the 12 steps what's your website cheryl it's insight life coaching dot coach solutions dot cc yeah. insight life coaching dot coach solutions dot cc I was just playing around a little bit and I Googled Cheryl Hines and actually some of the podcasts came up. Oh, cool. Which was really cool. Um, and sh- so if you also Google Cheryl's coach, Cheryl's coach, uh, co- yeah, Cheryl's coach, C H E R Y L, comma S or apostrophe S coaching. Um, if you look good in- long enough, you can actually find my website through that way as well. So, yeah. And you're available. You, uh, what I love about you is you walk the walk, you talk the talk, you know, it's, you've, you've been there, you've dealt with it. You've helped people along the way as well. Um, and you're there for anybody that just wants to start the conversation or maybe somebody knows somebody else who's dealing with something and you don't know where to turn. You don't know how to help them. You're that person. So I, I'm glad I we am. talked about uh, addiction. It's, uh, I have a different view of it um, and what's involved and some of the things that you need to to admit to yourself before you get to that point where you can start uh, on a better path in healing. And, uh, and for that, I thank you, Cheryl. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks, right. Steve. Look forward to next time. We'll be right back. You too. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. For nearly 2,000 severely injured veterans, everyday life has become filled with barriers. Day-to-day simple tasks can become pretty daunting. I have to carry my chair up two flights of steps or have somebody do it for me. What scares me the most is just the falling. When I'm struggling with my house, I think, you know, to have that one great barrier just knocked down, I mean, it's, it's crucial. 
Home for Our Troops is a wonderful nonprofit that builds a mortgage-free, fully adaptive, handicap-accessible house. And there's no catch. It'll be our very first home that we've ever owned. This is a game changer. This is where your life begins again. We need you to join us in completing this important mission. Please visit hfotusa.org and help build homes and rebuild lives. Because of you, everything's going to be okay.